Hello, and welcome to the third and final episode of our Antiplatelet Patient-Focused Podcast Series. Now over to Dr. Mark Panaka and Professor Robert Story. Hello, uh, welcome to this presentation. My name's Rob Story from Sheffield in the UK. Uh, I'm an interventional cardiologist uh, with interest in antithrombotic therapy and clinical trials. And it's my pleasure to introduce co-presenter, Dr. Mark Banaka. Mark. Well, thank you. I'm honored to be here with you, Rob. And, and uh, I'm a cardiologist and, and vascular medicine doctor here in the United States at University of Colorado and director of vascular research here. Thank you so much. Great. So let's talk about some of the challenges we face with antiplatelet therapy and perhaps some of the guideline recommendations. So we have a choice with uh, our acute coronary syndrome patients of different PTY12 inhibitors, ticagrelor, prasugrel, clopidogrel, and not only which one to choose, but how long to continue it for. What do you think the US guidelines are sort of directing us towards now with in terms of choice of agent and duration of treatment? Yeah, thanks, Rob. I mean, I, I, it has been interesting to see the evolution and guidelines over time as data have emerged. You know, you know, began with, I guess, the the you know aspirin, but then the cure trial. You know, sort of dapped for everyone for twelve months, um, and because there were relatively few tools in the toolkit, you know, it was sort of a one size fits all approach. And I think what we've seen over time is that uh, not only have there been uh, more potent agents, less variable agents, so we have multiple drugs to choose from, but I think there's also, you know, important recognition of, of the need to personalize therapy and that not every patient is the same and that we can risk stratify both for ischemic risk and bleeding risk. And so that it's not only then the initial agent that we choose, but other strategies for duration, de-escalation and other things. And so in some ways, the more we've learned, uh, the more complex it's become uh, and the more we need to you know, look at each patient and, and individualize, and then, uh, you know, I, I think engage in shared decision-making with our patients around these strategies, because ultimately, you know, that it's that they pay the price for their ischemic risk if it's unmitigated, but also for bleeding. And so they have to understand the risk benefit. Yeah, so, I mean, the ESC guidelines have uh, sort of addressed this by saying, look at the ischemic risk, look at the bleeding risk. There's some sort of discussion about whether we use risk scores for that or just look at the sort of patient characteristics and now pushing if patients have got a high ischemic risk and that may be multivessel disease with one of the unmodifiable risk factors like diabetes chronic kidney disease peripheral arterial disease if they have that high risk profile to then say do they have a high bleeding risk uh, such as are they anemic have they been hospitalized for bleeding do they have evidence of ongoing blood loss? Um, and then if they have a high ischemic risk, but without high bleeding risk, then those may be patients who get long-term dual antiplatelet therapy. But increasing awareness now of those with high bleeding risk um, who may not benefit from long-term dual therapy, and, and you've generated lovely data from Pegasus showing that very clearly, um, to then sort of de-escalate even from three months where we see this risk of stent thrombosis is has diminished to such an impressive degree with modern techniques. And then there's the option of monotherapy, lots of data on ticagrelor monotherapy, not so much on prasugrel, 
and a bit on clopidogrel showing this sort of risk early on relying on clopidogrel monotherapy, perhaps some benefits much later when you well past the uh, risk of stent thrombosis. So I think um, very interesting direction from the guidelines, but clearly we've entered this more complex phase of individualization and considering the whole patient's ischemic and bleeding risk. And then we've got the challenge of patients who need anticoagulants, perhaps because of atrial fibrillation. Uh, what's your take on those uh, following PCI and or for acute coronary syndrome? That's a great, great question, Rob. And I mean, of the high bleeding risk patients, that's probably the most obvious, those that require therapeutic anticoagulation for atrial fibrillation or, or, or for something else. And we know that triple therapy, you know, particularly with vitamin K antagonists has sort of an intolerable bleeding risk profile for long periods of time. And, and so, you know, I, I think there, there've been several important trials that have looked at different strategies. We know that the DOACs in general are safer than warfarin, particularly for the, the types of bleeding that we, we fear the most, like intracranial bleeding. And, and it seems that the combination of, you know, a direct oral anticoagulant, a 10A inhibitor or DTI with a P2I12, um, you know, that most patients will do pretty well. So we're dropping aspirin quite early after intervention, even two weeks after, and generally using, you know, P2I12 with, with uh, uh, one of the direct oral anticoagulants. Um, you know, what is your strategy there? Yes, I think, um, you know, we've sort of entered uh, a whole new era, really, in terms of treatment. I, my sort of take is that, you know, the risk of stent thrombosis has receded with the use of thin strut stents. Yeah. And so there's not quite such a need for the sort of triple therapy approach in, in most of the patients who, you know, particularly those who have an excellent stent deployment, um, there isn't such a high risk of stent thrombosis. And so we can afford to drop aspirin. I often do that immediately after the PCI procedure uh, and rely on the NOAC, usually a sort of twice daily one to maintain um, levels of anticoagulation because the anticoagulation indirectly or directly inhibits thrombin, uh, which not only leads to coagulation, but also activates platelets. So you can have an indirect or direct antiplatelet effect through the anticoagulant that helps with the removal of aspirin. And then there's the choice of P2Y12 inhibitor. So the guidelines are sort of pushing for clopidogrel with a NOAC as your sort of optimal strategy. I'm concerned because I don't think the trials are really being powered to look at stent thrombosis risk and these rare uh, cardiovascular deaths that occur as a result of stent thrombosis. So I have some concerns about that and often favor a potent PTY12 inhibitor such as ticagrelor as dual therapy immediately after the PCI procedure. But then of course that you know still carries a higher bleeding risk than on average you get with clopidogrel. What, what's your sort of feeling about the choice of P2Y12 inhibitor? Rob, I, I agree with you. You know, the trials investigating these different strategies have really been powered on bleeding rather than ischemic risk. So it's hard um, with small numbers to know what the cost is. And, and I also worry that, you know, trials tell you a, an effect in a population, but not for any individual patient. And it's really the variability of clopidogrel, which is sort of its Achilles heel. And so, you know, especially for someone who, you know, I'm worried about stent thrombosis, multivessel disease, and, and other issues. Um, 
I do worry about clopidogrel. Nonetheless, the, the, I think the, the balance of practice generally is the combination of clopidogrel and, and a DOAC, at least in our institution. But for, uh, I think about that and for patients that are higher risk, I, I do favor a more potent agent, um, you know, to Cagrelor, for example, uh, especially if they're not at heightened bleeding risk. And, and I'm not sure that the bleeding risk between those two strategies is so different, uh, to, to be honest, once you drop the aspirin. So, so I agree with you. Yeah, certainly you get a lot of improvement in hemostasis from dropping the aspirin as a result of the recovery of some of the platelet function, even in the you know, setting of a potent P2Y12 inhibitor. So that uh, certainly goes a long way to in terms of improving the hemostatic profile. Then we've got the question of that for those who have high ischemic risk and without high bleeding risk, we decide to treat long term with dual antiplatelet therapy. How long do we keep going? Do we give the one plus three years based on you know, Plato or Triton and then Pegasus study data? Or do you stop at four years because that's where the trials sort of take us to? It's a great question, you know, and, and it's sort of funny, um, you know, it's a little bit like for a cure, you know, it was a 12, you know, observation was 12 months. So it was, you know, do 12 months and stop because that was the trial duration. In contrast, when we think about aspirin, you know, for many years, we've used aspirin indefinitely based on two-year trials and we use statin indefinitely, even though the trials are four or five years. And so I, I think the, the, the decision shouldn't be based on how long the trial lasted because all, all trials have to conclude at some point. Um, and I base it more on the biology and the risk. And I think for these patients, especially if they've ruptured plaque and they have additional risk factors, you know, sort of nicely outlined in the, in the guidelines, th these are very high risk patients. They, they are high risk long-term. And in fact, most increase in risk over time, not decrease in risk. So I, I certainly wouldn't de-escalate uh, just by function of distance from the MI because they still are very high risk patients. And that risk is modifiable. Um, you know, for me, the question is always what is what what is their bleeding risk and, and how are they tolerating the therapy? And that just requires ongoing monitoring in relationship with the patient. And obviously things happen to people so it may develop atrial fibrillation or another another problem. But but in the absence of a reason to de-escalate, I, I certainly would be worried about long-term ischemic risk. And I wouldn't just arbitrarily or or, or just stop therapies based on the on the fact that the trials ended at that time. We, we, we've tended to think about a default treatment of one year post ACS and of course that's nice and simple and you know we can we tend to apply it to nearly all the patients but do you think we're sort of shifting to a sort of three month sort of time point for sort of decision making rather than 12 months which is losing its relevance as we see less you know, sort of late stent th uh, thrombotic events. Well, I do think it's shifting. You know, the the as you nicely outlined, the, the advances in our procedures um, and our devices have really taken the fear away of late stent thrombosis. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that it was you know DAP for everyone forever because you know we were worried about this, and that's that's completely changed. And so I do think the decision point has shifted backwards, um, you know, earlier towards the intervention. And I think that's nice. It gives, you know, clinicians and patients more latitude in terms of personalization. I, I do think we have to be cautious, um, again, because I, I do think there are patients that are very high risk for whom, 
you may be uncomfortable de-escalating at three months. And then, you know, that doesn't mean you can't revisit it six months or 12 months, but, but it does give us that opportunity early. And, and I think that's nice. Great. Well, thanks very much, Mark. It's been great uh, discussing that with you. And um, just to let the audience know there's going to be a quiz to follow. Uh, please participate in that. And so thank you to Mark and, and thank you to all for your participation. We hope you enjoyed listening in to our antiplatelet patient-focused podcast series. For more information on antiplatelet therapies, visit medthority.com. And to listen to more insightful podcasts from healthcare experts, check out the MedThority channel on Spotify and iTunes. Thanks for listening.